Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Paul Smith. He's an education advocate. He's also someone who's been running a business for over a decade. I think you're going to love this episode. We're going to talk about what does it mean to really break through barriers and create a sustainable path to success, especially for the youth in our country. Dig in and here comes your good advice. Hey, you've checked out another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. We're talking with a special friend who his sweet spot is something that I'm quite passionate about. I have Paul Smith with me today. He's the president and owner of Education Reform Advocates, LLC. He focuses on dropout prevention, youth development, and even childhood obesity. He's an incredible person in the education field, and he's going to be sharing some knowledge with us today. Paul, thank you for being here today. Oh. Thanks for having me on, Blake. Much appreciated. Well, man, I'm excited to jump in and talk about, you know, first of all, just running a business. You know, you've been in business for over a decade, so you've, you've beaten the statistic, so to speak. And also, man, I'm excited. You know, I used to be a high school teacher myself, and so I'm excited to get some of your insights on today's education world. Um, how about we just start with how you got started for your business? Oh, well, that's a, that's a great question. And thanks for asking, Blake. Um, so I um, really, you know, it's funny how things happen. Uh, a lot of times, you know, one door closes and, and another door opens in life. And um, uh, what do you know is I ended up in the uh, recession in 2008, um, right? I guess 2008, 2009, I ended up getting laid off um, from a small advocacy policy and advocacy group. And I said, oh, my goodness, what, you know, this is, this is a disaster. You know, what's going to happen here? I've got two kids at home. Uh, my wife's been home with the kids for uh, going on uh, six years now. It's been a single income situation. And I said, oh, man, this is, you know, this is really bad news. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a lot of bad news in the ether at the time anyway, at, at, you know, in terms of the stock market and whatnot. So, um, you know, funny, I just, I called an old boss, um, that I worked with at, at Johns Hopkins and we were doing school reform work together. And I just said, Hey, you know, just kind of explain the situation, what was happening. And it just so happened that he had a small project at, uh, a high school, blue high school down in Southeast DC. Um, and, uh, he was, he needed help running a twilight Academy, which was kind of an alternative education environment. And, uh, and what do you know? So I, he said, can you, when could you start? And I said, like, now let's do it. <laughs> and so, uh, so I met him down there. And next thing you know, um, uh, you know, it was it started with one small project in 2009. And then um, there was, I kind of expanded by trying to just pick up, uh, again, like smaller contracts and eventually some part time work, which eventually became 
a full-time, basically like a full-time employee situation. Um, and, and what's interesting is over the 10 plus year, almost 11 years, over 11 years now is I've had a lot of different iterations of this business. So, um, I've had, uh, three to five projects, like major projects running at a time. Um, and then by the other, on the other hand, I've had one project where it's just like, that's all you do is work for one client. And, um, and, and so I will say that the sweet spot for me is kind of the multiple projects, um, multiple avenues and kind of like in, in, the good analogy would be like an investment. You want to diversify a little bit in your work. You know, some contracts are shorter and longer than others. Um, and so, uh, it, that's a little bit of a safety net built in as opposed to just having one, you know, one single client that you're working for. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just, and uh, so anyway, that's just, you know, the, the different iterations have been, it's been interesting to see, but I think for me personally, um, just in terms of sustainability, those, the, having the multiple projects running at a time, um, uh, seems to be the best fit. And, uh. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, listening to you, I mean, obviously the the proof is there. Like I said, you've been in business for over a decade, which is rare. I think I think the statistic is something like twenty to thirty percent will actually make it for the full ten years, and it just continues to drop after that point. And yeah. It feels like you gave an insight there that it feels like a lot of business owners struggle with, sort of allowing the business to evolve over time. You use the word iterate. You know, it feels like sometimes business owners, they are apprehensive at the thought of being agile, at letting their business change a little bit over time. And it sounds like you've kind of rolled with it to let oh, your business develop. You're exactly right, Blake. I think, um, I think a good analogy, you know, like really good football coaches figure out how to build a, they find the right players or they, have, they realize their players and then they design the system and they make it work, right, around the players that they have. And I think a lot of people have the mindset of kind of like the, an old school coach who says, I'm going to make these players fit into my scheme, into my system. And I think a lot of, you know, I, I see that in a lot of folks in the work world where, you know, they just kind of, they're going to do it their way mm. and that's the way it's going to be. And um, that would be detrimental to me. I wouldn't be in business right now uh, with that. I've, and, and I think uh, I was just having this conversation with a, with a client the other day about, um, taking what's there, you know, finding what's there, seeing what's there and um, working with it, right? D- not trying to fit the square peg in the round hole kind of situation, you know, not just because you say you're, you know, you do this, that you have to do it that way. Um, so always finding a way is, is really, I think adapting is really important and being flexible also. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can remember my very first, my, actually my first teaching job um, I'll never forget. I was trying to get a social studies. I was my big dream was to be a high school football coach. That's all I wanted to do growing up, and uh, um, and so I I went to a small D three school, played college football, and um, got a history degree, and went uh, was going to live that life, be a social studies teacher and coach ball like that was going to be it. And um, I'll never forget. And I was interviewing for one of my first jobs and the principal said, look, I don't have a social studies job open right now, but if you teach world religions and world cultures, I'll give you the first job. I'll give you the first social studies job that opens up. And so I said, all right, you know, that, that's all right. Like I'll, I'll do that because, you know, I just wanted to get the foot in the door. And I think um, that's just kind of one example of, of you know, trying to, 
uh, be flexible. And I didn't, I had no business teaching religion. I like to say, <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't know Hindu from, I didn't know Fondue from Hindu. Like I didn't know anything. And here I am, you know, what's the best you know, way to figure out whether or not you really understand something is when you go teach it as, as you know, from your teaching experience. Yeah, right? well, really got it. <laughs> oh my gosh, man. I feel like this, I'm sure I would, this would be horrific for a former principal to hear, but I feel like I didn't become like immersed in what I was teaching until it was finally like, like I remember, I remember coming to my school and they were like, Hey, you're going to teach aquatic science. And I was like, what the heck is aquatic science? <laughs> right. I didn't, I'd gotten a biology degree. And so I had no idea, but like now I feel like I'm an expert on high school aquatic science. But at the time I definitely probably had no business right. uh, being right. in charge of that. No, no. So yeah, so you're exactly right. And so I think you have to believe in, you know, you have to be confident enough in yourself that you can make these adjustments and you, right. you know, it, it may not be perfect, but mm. it's in the direct, if you have a, a kind of a vision for where you want to go, um, you know, you, you'll take a very, you know, there are various paths to get there nope. and, uh, and it may not be, and I'll just give you one more quick example. Um, uh, earlier in my, when I was starting my business, um, uh, one fellow who went on to become one of my main clients for years, like many, many years. Um, and, uh, he asked me to do some government relations work for him for reading, for reading his fundamental uh, national literacy nonprofit in DC. Right. And so I was like, government relations, what's, the, you know, <laughs> I, was, I was a teacher, I worked in schools, uh-huh. I could work with principals, administrators, kids, but like politicians, are you kidding me? I mean, I, I don't know what I'm doing. He said, don't worry about it. You'll be, you know, you'll, you'll be all right. And, um, and so, and it ended up to be a great experience. I, and, and I learned a ton. I mean, I, um, actually I just, uh, um, had coffee a couple of weeks ago with the director of government relations who's still there at Rift. Um, and I really like that work actually now. And I would have never, ever known about that if I hadn't just, you know, given it a try. And, and I like to, and I, I kind of still stay in that arena. I mean, part of the work that I'm doing now is leading the reconnecting youth campaign here in Baltimore. And um, that's advocating for federal dollars for programs that help kids who have kind of fallen off the rails. So your, your job core, uh, youth build, uh, conservation core, all the core type programs. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so that's so thankfully, like in retrospect, that work has kind of carried along with me mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's been really fun, but I would have never had any, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been like, Oh, I don't know anything about government relations. So anyway, I think part of it is just being willing to kind of, you know, kind of like that little feet song, will it? You got to be, you got to just be, you know, ready to just kind of step out there and do it. So now, and you know, since you, since you mentioned uh, football, the analogy that I think of is, um, do you remember when, um, you know, Tim Tebow was playing for Florida and he was so, you know, he was the dual threat quarterback and it was, he really, I mean, had kind of, you know, made a name for himself of, you never knew if he was going to keep the ball or if he was going to hand it off. And maybe even air it out, right? And and yep. I think about how Urban Meyer did such a great job, exactly what you're talking about, building his system around Tim Tebow. And it feels like business owners today, I don't want to say it's like it's tough to roll with the punches, but exactly what you said. I mean, there's a difference between I'm going to take what I have and build my system from that versus I'm going to build the system and sort of fit the square peg into the round hole. 
Why does it feel like business owners today are, they really struggle with flexibility and agility and adaptability? And I know these are key concepts because even I'm even part of a certification program where one of their new big assessments they're rolling out for executive leaders is it's built entirely on this concept of adaptability and agility. So I know, I know it's a powerful concept and yet I know I engage with a multitude of leaders who it's just, it's tough to build the mental fortitude, the mental appetite for flexibility. Why is that? Do you think? I, that's a great, that is really a great question. I think, um, um, a part of it is just a mindset, right? And it's a bit of a growth mindset and being able to, and being willing to take on the work to kind of keep, keep always kind of looking for the edge for what people, you know, both what the needs are, um, uh, maybe that people see, or maybe they don't see it, but they, you know, they have these issues in their organization. So I think there, you know, there's, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, that is, a, so I keeping um, a sense of, you know, priorities uh, for yourself and, and what you're um, seeing and being able to provide for folks. And then, so I think that's really critical there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess it's kind of like, um, and I can't think of the analogy, but it's like, if you know what you want to provide in terms of the end result, does it really matter? like the method in terms of how you get there. And it feels like sometimes people get, they get those backwards where it's like, no, the method, and maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's like you said, it's mindset where it's like, this feels really good because I know the system. Yeah. Even though it's maybe not getting the results that I aspire to get. I, I, yes, yes. And that's a really good point. And I will say one thing about kind of, you know, entrepreneurship, and I put that in air quotes because I mean, I think, um, you know, entrepreneurs, they kind of, you know, it can get a bad rap sometimes, you know, self-employed consultants slacker, <laughs> all in the same, um, all in the same sentence. But I, I will say um, the thing about running a business, I mean, you just, you, you work so hard. And I think when you're a full-time employee in an organization, it's really easy to become complacent and um, kind of, and I found myself doing this um, at times, not necessarily becoming complacent, but you just kind of do your job. You kind of, you, you really, and I don't think it was until I was working for myself and having to really expand uh, the network and really be aggressive about, you know, kind of what are the next projects that you're going to work on. Um, I think it's easier. It's kind of easy sometimes within an organization to kind of sit back and say like, well, what's next? And you kind of, rather than being really aggressive and looking for what to do, a lot of times folks kind of just wait, like, well, what is the assignment? And I think there's a big difference in motivation there for people mm-hmm. and what, you know, kind of, and what kind of gets you excited when you get up in the morning and go to work, you know, like if you're told like you're going to do X, Y, I would be, I'm very bad with that. Like <laughs> I've always been, you know, it's just, that's a hard, and so I think that's, you know, people find themselves in that, you know, kind of in that situation a lot of times where, you know, you're going to, you are assigned these one, two or three things. And that's a little different than saying like, you know, I went out and got, you know, these, these are three things that I'm doing because it's, it's what I want to do and I'm heading in that direction. Yeah. So. And, it, and it feels like great leaders are able to 
and, and I don't even want to, it feels like it's cheapening it to call it like motivation, but there is a, there is a motivational piece here, but it feels like great leaders are able to get their employees from that sort of like, um, and, and it's not laziness. It's just, I think of it as like inaction, like yep. where they're waiting to be told what to do. And it feels like great leaders are able to move that person into now they're the go-getter, you know, they're, they're going out and they're making things happen on behalf of the business. Um, and it, it feels yeah, I, like, go ahead. No, I was just going to say you are a hundred percent right. And I'll tell you just a quick story. So one of the best bosses I ever had, who's still a client of mine now. So I was a young guy, say 30 ish, right? Maybe not even 30. And he was the CEO of this nonprofit basically. And he calls me in his office and he's like, all right, let's look at this resume. And we had a resume meeting. This was not about like, and I thought we were going to have a project meeting, like, you know, kind of go over some of the responsibilities. And he's like, you know, we, we, so we talked about strengths and weaknesses within the resume, within the, you know, went way beyond the scope of work. And it was the first time I had been introduced to a leader like that, who was really visionary and was like, Hey man, you, you know, you, you gotta be thinking big picture here. And, um, that was so valuable. And it's mm. just, it's, it, it's, um, I've kind of taken that with me wherever I've gone that kind of, and not necessarily, um, you know, helping clients with that exact yeah, yeah. Kind of activity, but just as a, as a mindset for folks that I do work with and, and trying to, um, be a valuable resource for them and just trying to think in and helping folks think about the big picture. Um, but that, so there are leaders who do, you know, and then there are leaders who, you know, are there, you know, they're in charge. Right. And so, you know, and, and, and I think that's part of it, right. It's, it's a lot of times I think people don't get, they don't get like the leverage or like the permission to be assertive because it's more about the owner's ego. And well, that's, you know, that's my decision to make. Or, you know, I was talking to somebody who, and she ended up leaving this job but she had been hired. It was like a, uh, an events coordinator position. And she had gone out and created some of these events and gotten the community businesses involved. And it was this really incredible deal. Well, her boss pulled her aside and was like, why did you do this? Like, why did you create this stuff? And she was like, well, that's, that's like what my job is, right? Like you want me to? And she's like, yeah, 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 it is your job. But I would prefer that I decide what you go do and what you spend your time on, which she was like, but that doesn't really make sense because that's not, that's not your job. It's my job. And yeah. she was like, yeah, but this is really my, this is my thing. And so it was kind of this weird, awkward, like we, just like a controlling ordeal. And, and I, I see that happen a lot. And it's not always ego. Sometimes it's people who they don't know how to trust their employees. But all I can think about is it creates a very slow business oh. because you're waiting on this central person to <laughs> you know, make decisions and decide what's going to happen rather than it's so much faster to just trust your people and let them go. go. Do. Yeah. Right. And just go you know, do it. Let right. Me, let me right. parent these people. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, and that's part of the, you know, if you're kind of making a chart of pros and cons of entrepreneurship or advice for, you know, in the business sense, like one of the best things about um, working for yourself is that, you know, you're, you say you're on site helping a client and you, and you, you know, you, you see those situations that you just described oh so clear, right? And and this is happening. And it's not necessarily your area to be involved with, but you see some of these 
um, total roadblocks. And, and then you walk out the door and you say, <laughs> okay, you know, like this was great. You know, like, so, you know, you're there for the day and then, you know, you kind of like, you know, that's, you know, that, that's basically where, um, you know, as a, as someone who's coming in from the outside, it's really good to be able to just come and go. <laughs> and, <yeah. laughs> and the going can be really great because, you know, if you're part of the organization and I've been part of, you know, an organization that maybe wasn't the most functional at one time and uh, may have been somewhat toxic. And that's really hard. It carries yeah. over to your personal life. Um, that's one of the, I, I had to leave a job at one point because I remember I was uh, rocking one of my kids to sleep and uh, after, you know, story time and like I found myself getting mad and here I am with my kid, mm. my son Gordy, and I'm like, oh my God, I, like this is crazy that I'm thinking about people mm. or situations at work and I'm here with what I care the most about in the world. Mm. And so that's when I kind of, the light bulb went on like, okay, this, you know, you need to make Something a has to change transition here. And so speaking of that, I think with also with kind of entrepreneurship and um, being in business for yourself, one really important thing is um, having a, a partner, uh, you know, if you are in a, in a relationship, really being clear about how that is going to work. And um because along with all those different iterations of the business that I had described before, um, I have the most loving and supportive spouse who was, you know, she's my biggest fan, right? And so, and I couldn't, and and it hasn't been all roses, believe me. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, in, in terms of working together, but we've always been on the same page um, for the most part. And I think it was early on, it was a little bit, the risk, you know, you, you're, there you have there there has to be some tolerance for risk when you're an entrepreneur right but mm -hmm. you got to consider your spouse also mm -hmm. and um looking back <laughs> i don't know if i did enough you know was i uh, i probably could have done a little better job of communicating right always kind of relationships are always boiled down to like communication if you do a really good job of communicating things tend to go better right <laughs> um yeah but as we've evolved, as the you know, over the course of the past ten years, and we've seen different versions of of the business, and at one time it was the only income stream, and at one time it's been you know paired off with where uh, my wife Erin is working as a full time employee, and so we've seen all kinds of different iterations mm -hmm. of that. But um, I think having a supportive partner and someone that you're able to uh, you're because you, you're in business. Like, not only are your partner, your friends, your your best friends, your love, but you're also business partners. So you got to, and so you got to be able to talk about that stuff. And so that's really, really important. I think yeah, I, I can't I, be underestimated for anyone who's thinking about. Well, and I can't tell you how many people I talk to who say, "Yeah, I think I want to." You know, I'm thinking about branching off on my own. I'm thinking about it, right? And so they're probably listening to shows like yours. You know, like as they're thinking about it. But I think. That would be one thing to be really, and if you're in a, if you're not in a relationship, that's that's a whole other thing. But yeah, are, well, one, really I think, I think even if you don't have uh, like a spouse to be that person for you, you know, you got to have your network of fuel. You know, the people yeah. who are going to keep you going, keep you encouraged. You know, yeah. I, I just think about starting my business, and I I've been in business for I guess about a year and a half. I would not have made it past probably the first month without yeah. my wife being, I mean, frankly, I probably, I probably 
you know, took way more from her than I should have. But um, being just the rock, you know, yeah. the central force, hey, this is what you're called to do. You know, I don't know if I could have made it. Yeah. And a lot of people in entrepreneurship, all they know is this very sexy, fluffy description of entrepreneurship. You know, hey, you make your own hours. In fact, you know, here's a couple of things that I heard over the last year. <laughs> someone said, someone was like, oh, you're an entrepreneur, so you get to just wake up whenever you want. <laughs> I was like, okay, is that what we see as entrepreneurship? And then I had another guy, he was around 18, 19, maybe 20 years old. And he said, man, I just, all I want to be in life is an entrepreneur. And I said, okay, well, what, what do you think that means? And he said, it means that I can do whatever I want and no one's going to tell me what I need to do. And I go, okay, that actually sounds like immaturity. It doesn't sound like you want to be an entrepreneur. It sounds like you're immature and you want to just do whatever you want. Because it is really hard. It is really challenging. And you have to have, it, there's a level of endurance. I mean, you've been in it for over 10 years. There's a level of endurance that has to happen, I think, to make it long term. Yeah, no question. And, um, you know, you have a bad day every once in a while. I mean, it's like life, you know, I mean, yeah. but I think the constant is the, you know, is the work, right? You got to keep at it. And, you know, I get a, you get up early, like to that point earlier <laughs> that you just mentioned, you know, yeah. my alarm is, you know, it's going off before five most days. Right. And we're getting going. So yeah. there's a lot to do. Well, um, but the other thing is also, I think it's really important is to surround, you know, kind of keep yourself surrounded by great people, mm -hmm. right? Not only like in your own, like in your own nuclear family, like uh, presumably like your, you know, your wife and, and, and whatnot, or your spouse, or your partner. But I think with other aspects of your life, just sur just finding people who are really great people to connect with is so important. I, uh, you know, whether it's a, whether it's a, a faith community or um, if it's a, a, a local group of guys or gals who hang out together in the neighborhood or it's your workout buddies, um, you know, I think that is it just to, as far as sustainability and keeping mm -hmm. things moving, even though it's not directly related to your business. Um, there's a there's a guy I ride my bike with, I, a neighbor down the street, Scott. I love hanging out with. We talk like he's a great person, um, thoughtful, interesting guy. And um, you know, I think it's you finding people who kind of radiate positive energy is so important. Just because. I mean, it's a tough, it, the world's tough out there and, uh, you know, it's, it's doggy dog. So the most, you know, the, the, the more folks that you have that you, you know, count on that you care about, they care about you. Yeah. Um, especially at the like local community level. I mean, we're really, we're so, uh, uh, blessed to be involved with a, a faith community, Episcopal faith community here in Baltimore, because we have problems in Baltimore city. Like we, there's a lot going on here that's not so great, but we're doing work, right? And we're trying to help move, you know, trying to do a lot of the right thing and, and mm -hmm. help, help folks move in the right direction. So, I mean, I think, uh, you know, which, cause it's easy to just kind of, for people, I think uh, to just throw their hands up in the air and say like, oh, this is bad problems, you know, but I think finding people who are solution oriented yeah. um, and whether that's a, <laughs> um, you know, a, a men's group or a job seekers group or a, um, or a, a church group, whatever that is. I think it's so important to, especially if you're on your own as, as yeah. an entrepreneur, because yeah. part of what you lose is 
the community that work the water cooler, right? There's no more water cooler to go to. So um, where everybody, you know, kind of, so you got to have, you got to create your own water coolers. And I've done it. I've tried to do that through various avenues, you know, exercise or working out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's such an amazing piece of advice because I remember starting my business in like week one thinking, wow, this is pretty lonely. <laughs> like, like there's just, there's, and it's just like you said, I, I guess I didn't think about how valuable that work community was. And it was kind of like, man, this is, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen like Parks and Rec, but um, oh, yeah. one of the main characters, he gets, he, uh, I can't remember if he gets laid off or what happens, but he starts doing like this claymation uh, uh, video on himself for himself. And it's just really sad. And it's like, his friend is like, okay, wow, we really need to get you like connected with people again. Cause this is scary. <laughs> That's how I was feeling. Like week one was kind of like, okay, uh, this is, yeah. this is tough. This is daunting. Yeah. And so yeah. I think yeah, you're spot yeah. on. Yeah. And, and to your point, so one other aspect of sustainability that is very connected to that idea, um, is, is finding the right people that you are, uh, as an entrepreneur who you connect with on certain teams and finding great people who, and staying connected to those people. So, um, cause I certainly probably wouldn't be in business right now if I hadn't met people like I'm thinking about a woman, Leslie, she was the former director of high schools in Portland and we were on a department of education project together. And I still call her for advice. Like she's been, she's seen it all. Right. Mm. And, um, and she's been not only as like working in a school district, but being as a consultant and then as a parent and grandparent. But, um, and I remember having a conversation with her at one point, you know, cause you have ebbs and flows in business. Right. And I remember thinking, man, I think this might be the end of the run about eight years ago. I thought, well, you know, I think it's time to have a regular job, you know, <laughs> in air quotes, right? Yeah. <laughs> have a regular job for whatever that's worth. And um, having that conversation with someone like Leslie, who was like, you know, that's kind of, kind of and being able to talk through that yeah. and, uh, and getting advice from folks who have, have had similar and, and interesting experiences and who you trust mm, and mm. who know you. And I think that's really important also. So finding the connection, so you don't have that water cooler, but you know, you know, and, and, you know, online helps because you can get together a little bit more. Um, but you've got to, to your point, I think every, every chance you get to connect with folks that you've either worked with before, um, uh, or folks you're working with is really important. So you don't get into kind of like mm-hmm. that isolation chamber kind yeah. of place, which yeah. isn't that that's not a good, that's not a real, uh, <laughs> real healthy place to be. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> well, we're, um, man, it's amazing how fast the time goes. We're running out of time. I, I really want to spend some time before we wrap up. I want to talk about education because this is a probably, it's probably the most important topic for me as a professional is our, our public education system. I know you do a lot in education. Um, I'm, I'm very much troubled having been a high school teacher in inner city Houston I'm very much troubled how little education gets mentioned in terms of like, um, and this is all political candidates. I I never see it quite as the, the banner. This is the focus, uh, conversation. 
And yet I've seen it firsthand that our, our education system needs so much help. Our kids need so much help. And yeah. so I'd, I'd love to hear more about what you're doing, how you're supporting school systems, you know, what's your passion there? Yeah. So I, I think, and, and you're right. I mean, that's where it all starts with kids in school. And I think, um, it's, you know, I, I, and I wonder, I've often asked myself, could I go back and be a teacher today with all of the, the, you know, responsibilities that teachers are being asked to do, right. For be the counselor, you know, caregiver, you know, I, I just, and, and then we're going to grade you on, on a test and see how your kids do on a test. And we're going to grade you, you know, we're going to, we're going to, base your performance evaluation on that. I mean, that is insane. I mean, that is really. Well, and, and let me, let me jump in for a second because yeah. I have, I have listeners that are all over the spectrum politically. And so let sure. me, let me add some context for the listeners. Uh-huh. And this, this, this is not biased, you know, which people who maybe disagree with me are going to be like, no, that is biased. But having been a teacher, let me add some context to some of these state tests, for example, so as a teacher, you know, maybe you're teaching a dozen different units in a year. The state test might pull one random question from each unit that is, it's really, it's not really skills oriented. It's really not um, critical thinking oriented. Some can be, but for the most part, it's, it's, I've seen some questions that are just random details that you hope the kid has remembered. And so Having said that, the the state test is actually quite removed contextually from what's actually happening in the classroom. And so I'm giving that context because for the person who's a listener, maybe doesn't know this world very, very much, they may be thinking, well, yeah, why wouldn't you evaluate teachers? I mean, the test is the output. Why wouldn't you? Right. And so I, all I'm doing is I'm, tr- I'm trying to help explain it's not, it's not as cut and simple as maybe you're thinking it's actually very disjointed and disconnected. Um, and, and man, Paul, you've really nailed it as well in terms of the multiple roles of a teacher. I remember when I was a teacher in Houston, they, for budget reasons, they had to remove all, all um, what they saw as extraneous positions. So they removed all paraprofessionals, they removed all speech uh, uh, therapists. And so the only role in the classroom or in the school was the teacher who now is, you know, you're managing the instruction, you're managing advocacy for your students, you're managing the specific needs of someone who would have utilized a paraprofessional. And in my case, you know, my biggest class was 45 people. And so you're managing, you know, that's it, that's it. <laughs> which my principal mentioned legally, it was only supposed to be 35, which I don't think it would have been any better. But um I feel like I'm just venting right now, but there's a lot happening in the education space that brings a lot of complexity. So it really isn't as cut and dry as maybe sometimes we like to make it. Yeah. Yeah. You're, um, you're exactly right. I think one of my big frustrations with, um, especially with the, to your point of testing, I mean, it's just a snapshot of progress. Right. Um, and so, so most of the schools that I've uh, been working with over the years and the districts that I've been working with over the years, I mean, they're struggling with complicated issues of poverty, right? Yes. And so, right. I mean, to think, and, and, and there's no magic wand to get to make sure that students are, um, you know, 
uh, reading on, on grade level, you know, we know, we know, I mean, research tells us that by third grade, I mean, we can kind of track where students are. And so, I mean, it's not, um, you know, we know we've got to kind of front load our system, but, you know, we're, we're not seeing the political will to, to make that happen. And I think, um, you know, our state tests, sure, they give you a snapshot of where kids are, but I mean, where does that tell you about growth, right? What about the kid who comes into ninth grade but was reading at a fifth grade level and just about dropped out of school because they were so doggone frustrated, right? And But they hung with it and they made up, you know, now they're reading at an eighth grade level, but they're still failing on the state, you know, like when they get the report card. So what good does that do, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, who, come on now, who, who is that helping? Yeah, right. and I, I think that context, it's hard, man, it's hard for people to understand the context and it's much easier, and this is what I've seen happen, it's much easier to see for people to say, oh, that student is just lazy, oh, their parents just don't care about school, and there's a lot of um, oh, mis- yeah. misinformation and um, you know, I remember I had a student one time, he was in ninth grade and I taught science but I remember doing math flashcards, you know, like those little uh, flashcards, like multiple. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember I was doing these flashcards with him and actually it was, it was addition is what it was. And so like 11 plus 14 and he was like, he was a ninth grader. He was like, yep. I, I don't know. And I, I feel like the way the political conversation has gone is someone says, well, that's just a student who's lazy. They haven't put in the time to learn it. But actually the context is he was from El Salvador yeah. Up to that point that he had come to the States, he had lived on a farm, zero education whatsoever, zero education system. The, the infrastructure wasn't there from where he lived. So this year in high school was his very first immersion into an actual functioning school system. And so when you, I feel like the, the test data and even public perception, we lose that context sometimes. And what we like to do instead is say, well, that's just a bad teacher. Well, their parents just must not care. Well, they must just be lazy instead of recognizing that there's systemic differences because of poverty. Yep. That's my rant, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I get really passionate about this stuff, obviously. So I don't mean to take over, but no, no, I I think you're, you're a hundred percent right. And I don't, and and I think that, I mean, I guess I feel your, I feel your frustration. I really, I, I do. And I think what, so what I've tried to do with my business is as part of it, um, is, is twofold is to I'm trying to help organizations who build scaffolding into their programming to help kids who are b- behind and, and and try to get them up to speed so they can you know read at grade level um, pass the test and graduate on time I mean that's the idea and go to and whatever path they choose right a positive right. path in life whether it's right. trade school military right. it right higher ed community college doesn't matter right um, so that's, you know, that's part of it. And I think, so the other part though, is, and, and I think systemically we do a really poor job of um, taking the, the group of youth who have kind of fallen off the rails and figuring out how, how can we rectify this situation? How can we get these, how can we get kids? I don't think a kid should be, I, I personally don't think a kid should be in jail or, or punished for the rest of his life because they made a bad decision in ninth grade. Mm-hmm. And they decided to drop out of school. Like, I don't think that that should necessarily follow them for their entire life, right? It's like, mm-hmm. um, 
so I think, you know, we, cause so just give you some, like we have over 15,000 kids in Baltimore who are between 16 and 24 who aren't in school, aren't working, aren't actively looking for work. Right. And so that's a group of kids who like, they need some TLC, right. We need to figure out a plan and those, you know, and the youth need to, you know, and the, the youth, they want to be held accountable for themselves, right? People want a positive, you know, people, people want a path to self-sustainability. And we do such a poor job, I think, not just, in, and I'm not finger-wagging at Baltimore. This is universal in the country. I mean, Houston, St. Louis, Miami, I mean, all, I mean, we have, I mean, no one's immune to this issue. Some cities are really, like, there's some really good systems in place, like LA and where they've got, They've got labor working. They've got multiple organizations at the municipal level working together uh, around education and workforce development. And that's where you're seeing some really great results that I think can be emulated in other cities. But I think, you know, I, I really I feel really strongly that we, you know, this is a kind of a forgotten group that is, is really important to address and to figure out to help them get a plan and, and for themselves. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if we don't, I mean, we, cause we see what happens. I mean, there's, there's a, you know, there's kind of, there's a moral side to this in terms of every kid should kind of have a, a path. Right. And there's an economic side to this too. I mean, it's a drain on, you know, from a systems perspective, right. Mm-hmm. If a, if a kid is involved in systems, uh, public systems for whatever they be. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they're not involved in the employment, right. It's way out mm-hmm. of whack in terms of mm-hmm. um, what, what they're contributing to the economy. So, I think there's there's kind of the re- return on investment for good programming argument as well as just kind of the moral like hey it's the right thing to do to help people even if they have made a mistake um, provide some kind of positive path forward that they know about right and so um, having people talk about this I mean some uh, some cities are really there's a, a national reengagement network that meets regularly and they do a great job but it's kind of under the radar. It's mm-hmm. not what presidential candidates are talking about, and it's not just something that's, uh, you know, in, in regular everyday conversation. And uh, but it's, I just think it's so, it's really important. So I, I, I there's my rant. I, I, you had yours. I that was mine. Okay. So. Well, and I, I guess I'll just say I, I wish it wasn't a. Um, I just wish there wasn't a political. It's almost like whatever side you're on dictates your perception of the schooling system. And for me, I, and maybe I'm just, you know, a crazy millennial, but for me, I just think let's remove the political alias from the conversation. And we're talking about having the compassion to see a kid have their options restored to them in the sense of maybe, because frankly, you know, I, I remember they had this one kid who was so challenging. He was so difficult. He ended up going to jail. He got arrested for, um, uh, he was selling uh, some drug. I can't remember what the drug was, but he was selling drugs and he got arrested and uh, went to jail. But the backstory there is when he was like 11 or 12 years old, his dad would take him on like the drug dealing, you know, jobs. And in fact, his dad had actually taken him with him uh, to kill someone who had stolen money from him. And, and his, the son had actually witnessed this happening. Oh. And so I think what happens sometimes is you, you lose, again, you lose the context where 
this kid's now in the juvenile detention system. But when you look at what that kid's life's been like, it's hard not to have compassion and recognize we need some pathway for this person to get to get back on the right path. But what's easier, I think, sometimes is, you know, oh, well, that's, you know, their fault or, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I know. And, and I, I think more and more people, I mean, in local communities are, are realizing that you have to, there are really good programs, uh, core, like civic works and core programs that are helping um, youth exactly how you're describing uh, their situation. And I think just the more and more that we have of programming uh, like that and in general awareness, um, just the better off that we're going to be. So. Everybody needs to go hug a teacher today. <laughs> Some encouragement. And they, they are the, war- they are the workers. Know. They really are. I, yeah. I love when people say, oh, yeah, they'll just go teach. I always think, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're in, you know, if you think you just go teach, you know, that is some work. And yeah, yeah that is really, yeah. really hard, uh, hard, very rewarding. Um, but, you know, and nobody's you know, making a fortune in the classroom. Um, yeah. And it is really hard work. Um, Teachers are heroes. You know, they're heroes, man. They're making it happen. So yep. anyway, now that I'm, I'm sure I've pissed off half of my listener base, <laughs> but then inspired the other half, uh, we've, we've unfortunately run out of time. We've talked a lot about entrepreneurship business. Um, everybody needs to go out and thank a teacher, by the way. Um, Paul, what, what's the one thing for my listeners, if they want to follow you, engage with you, Maybe they want to write you a nasty email because I've totally, you know, synthesized this whole thing. Um, what's the one thing that you would like people to go do to stay connected with you? Um, they could, uh, gosh, that's a great question, Blake. Uh, email is always easy uh, or website. I have a website, paulsmithconsulting.org um, or uh, email pbs1207 at gmail. If, if you put that up on, uh, I'll put all my contact info. Yeah. Um, and I'm always happy to talk to anyone about entrepreneurship. Stranger, don't, I would say, please don't be a stranger. Um, you know, I've especially, I mean, I, having been in a situation where with a job loss and wondering what to do, um, I've always felt really strongly about just being a, you know, if I can help in any way, uh, if you're facing that kind of situation or just wondering about kind of what to do next or just want to bounce an idea off, I'd be all ears and be interested in helping. So I love it. Well, Paul, you've been a fantastic guest today. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much, Blake. This was great. And I love your podcast. It's great. I really, I've got it on my playlist and I listened to the uh, last, uh, last week, Mary, the leadership uh, conference. And then the other, the follow up with the uh, sales, uh, you know, the topics are great. (laughs) The samurai, right? Yeah. 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 John Molly. I still remember him, the customer for life. And and I think that's really good. That's great advice just in the work world. Like, yeah, must be that, be the worker that people want to have, you know, his episode, we're we're talking about John Molly new, his episode is the most downloaded episode uh, for the last 30 days. Wow. So yeah. you, you chose a great one. Yeah. Uh, but hey, everyone needs to be listening to this episode, uh, <laughs> not somebody else's. So anyway, but again, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for being here today. Okay. Thank you, Blake. For our listeners, if you have not subscribed to the podcast, man, what are you waiting on? You got to click that subscribe button, get it on any platform to get our updates to the show once or twice weekly. 
Also, if you enjoyed this episode, man, Paul was phenomenal. Definitely leave us a five-star review. Man, especially if you're in our Northwest Arkansas area, you got to leave us a Google review and talk about how this podcast is helping you and your business. Hey, I appreciate you listening. We'll catch you later. See ya.